I woke up with a start. I had overslept my alarm, a little bit hazy. I threw on my clothes, got my jacket on, my boots, grabbed my cart, and went out to deliver the papers. I walked the five blocks, and I got to the corner to pick them up, but they were nowhere to be found. Still a little confused, sometimes they dropped them off in the corner a couple blocks down, and so I walked over. But they weren't there. And now I'm getting a little frustrated. You know, I'm already running behind. I missed my 6 a.m. alarm. I've got to get them done before I go to school. Where were they? They were supposed to be delivered by 4.30 a.m. at the latest. And so I turned to look at my watch only to be startled. It's 3.25 a.m. Somehow, I must have just woken up and assumed it was my alarm. The routine set in, and I got up and found myself five blocks from home in the middle of the night, because that's just what you do when you get up when you deliver papers every morning at 6 a.m. And so there I was, five blocks away. Maybe you've had a similar kind of experience. You're leaving from work, and the next thing you remember is you're opening your front door. You look back at the driveway and the car is there, but you don't remember turning it on. You don't remember putting it in reverse, driving out the parking lot, making all the turns to get home. It's so ingrained in your routine that you can do it without even consciously thinking about it anymore. Your routine is so ingrained that you, you don't even have to think about the drive home. And then about five minutes later, you remembered that you were supposed to go to the supermarket, but you just did what you always do and... So now you, you've forgotten you have to go back out and get your milk or whatever else it might be. But the routines are so ingrained in our lives that it's reported, according to research, that 95% of what we do today no longer takes conscious thought. It, it's such a, a pattern in our daily lives that we don't actually have to attend to what we're doing. In today's gospel lesson, Jesus is talking about the end times and and it may seem like an interesting introduction, but I think that this story about the sheep and the goats is often misunderstood. See, we jump to the conclusion that this story is all about what we do for Jesus, all about what we do for God. See, I, I saw you naked and I clothed you. I, I, I saw you were hungry and I fed you. I saw you were thirsty and, and so I provided for you. We begin to think that this story is all about doing things for God, about out of out of the blessings we've received, how we respond and react to, to what God has provided for us. But in the parables, Jesus, that's not Jesus' point. See, in the parables, Jesus usually makes his point with something that's unexpected, something that's unusual. And in this parable, what's the unusual thing? Well, Jesus comes and says, Come you who are blessed and receive your inheritance because you fed me when you saw me. You, you provided for me. You did all these things for me. And the sheep look at Jesus and they are confused and startled. They're, they're bewildered. Uh, the children of God look and go, Jesus, when did we ever see you hungry and feed you? When did we ever see you thirsty and give you water or drink? When did we ever see you naked and clothe you or in prison and visit you? Jesus, I never saw you. I, I didn't know that was you. I just saw somebody in need, and so I did what needed to be done. I wasn't trying to do something for you, Jesus. 
See, that's the, the startling and the surprising part of this parable. It is the sheep, those who are doing the good works, are doing it simply because they see the need in front of them and they respond. They're not doing it for God as if they are driven by some compulsion to do something for him. And as Christians, it's important that we recognize this truth. See, as disciples, we shouldn't be doing good works out of a compulsive need to do something for Jesus or out of this obsession to try and uh, do enough to make up for our salvation as if we ever could. Uh, the reality is that, that those both can slip awfully quickly into works righteousness. But the reality is that, that we don't do good works for God as if he needs them. He doesn't. But our, our neighbor needs our good works. We don't do good works as if it would ever do enough to make up for the salvation God has, has given for us, has, has paid for for us. It can't. You can never do enough. Instead, we as Christians do good works because we see the need of our neighbor in front of us and we seek to meet that need, plain and simple. We're simply doing what we see is in front of us. We do it because it's who we are as Christians because all of our needs are provided for by God. We know that he's got everything in his hands. And so we're free to see the needs of our neighbor and provide for them. See, when you read this parable, those who are obsessed and compulsively seeking for a reason to do good works are not the sheep, but the goats. You can hear it in their response. Jesus, when did we ever see you naked or thirsty or hungry and not provide for you? We were looking for you, Jesus, but we just didn't know that we were supposed to do good works like that. Uh, we were looking for the right opportunity to serve you. They're consistently looking for the reason to do good works while the sheep simply see a need in front of them and are doing the good works. They simply do what's in front of them. But how, how do you become like the sheep? See, that's, that's the question that, that nags at us as Christians from this parable is, well, how do I become like those kinds of people who simply do the good works? That's the revealing thing about this parable. The sheep are those who don't have to consciously think about the good works they're doing. Instead, it's become an ingrained habit. They've been practicing the virtues for so long that it's just who they are. It's become second nature to serve those around them. It's just who they are as, as sheep, as God's people. And so now they continue to serve and continue to do what's right. That doesn't mean that there isn't a time and place where we don't engage intentionally in doing good works and in practicing and growing in the virtues. That's not the point. But the point is, through that practice, through those intentional times of doing that, the rest of our lives become shaped by the Christian virtues because they're so ingrained, just like getting up in the morning to do the papers, that you find yourselves doing it without thinking about it. It becomes a habit. See, the sheep are those who continue to engage in the Christian behaviors. They, they've practiced and developed these habits so frequently in life. They're, they're those who Paul describes in 1 Corinthians 9. And I want you to hear those words. See, they're the ones who say, Paul says, Do you not know that in a race all the runners run, but only one receives the, only one receives the prize? So run that you may obtain it. Every athlete exercises self-control in all things. They do it to receive a perishable wreath, but we an imperishable. 
So I do not run aimlessly. I do not box as one beating the air, but I discipline my body and keep it under control, lest after preaching to others, I myself should be disqualified. Like any musician, athlete, rider, or dancer will tell you, if you want to become proficient at a skill, if you want something to become so natural that it's second nature, you have to practice that habit over and over and over again. The reason uh, Steph Curry can make a jump shot without thinking it, and he has a flawless, uh, flawless form is because he's been making jump shots all of his life. If you want to become a musician who can sight-read music, who can play without having to think about where your fingers go, then you have to practice the scales over and over again so where your fingers need to go to play the notes becomes so ingrained that you don't have to think about it, so that you have the freedom to focus on the other things. Maybe a a simple everyday uh, life example might help you. Think about learning how to type on a keyboard. When you first began to type, you probably had to look down at every key. Maybe you pressed with one finger, or maybe two if you were were a little more skilled. But then you learn over time, and we have these typing classes that teach you how to learn where where the, the keys are. And gradually over time, you're able to look down a little bit less. And then all of a sudden, you're typing a letter or an email. And you're not even looking down at the keyboard anymore. Your fingers just know where the letters are. You're, you're thinking about the words, and your fingers know where to go. You don't even have to attend to that task anymore. It's become such an ingrained habit. It, your hands know what to do. Likewise, as Christians, we should be engaging in the, the virtues, the, the habits of the Christian life that make us more and more Christ-like so frequently that they are the first response in our lives. That we see those who are the least, the lost, and the last of these, and we seek to care for them. Why? Because we love them, because they're who God loves. And it's become such an ingrained habit that we don't even think about what we're doing. The sheep in this story, they're doing the right thing before they even think about the right thing. Before they've chosen to give water, before they've chosen to to provide food or clothing, before they've debated the merit of what, whether or not this is the right thing to do or, or how worthy the person is deserving of it, they've already done it because it's just who they are. It's who they are as God's people. They continue to serve the needs of those around them. Just like I could wake up at six, at three, at three in the morning and end up five blocks from home because the habit had become so ingrained that before I even noticed and registered what time it was, I was standing a few blocks away in the middle of the night, having to go back home and, and wait another three hours before I delivered my papers. Just like sometimes you can get into your car and you end up at a destination without even consciously thinking about it. As Christians, our habits form who we are. Good works don't save us, but they do reveal what we believe what we value, and what we love. The way we live reveals who we are as God's people. Luther once said that it is true that, that, that faith alone saves. We're saved by, by grace alone through what God has done. But here's the thing. Faith never remains alone. It always is demonstrated through the works that naturally flow out of that, through who we become as God's people. See, in Matthew 28, in the Great Commission... 
when Jesus tells the disciples to go out and baptize others and make more disciples. He doesn't tell them to know the answers. He tells them to teach them to obey everything he has commanded, to learn to be this kind of people, the kind of people who who follow Jesus' pattern of life. Jesus in Matthew says, earlier in Matthew's gospel, says that make a tree good and its fruit will be good. Make a tree bad and its fruit will be bad. For a tree is known by its fruit. You brood of vipers, how can you who are evil say anything good? For out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. See, what we love, what's in our hearts, what we do by the habits that are in us, shapes the kind of people we are, shapes the way we live, the way we act. And those things that we love are formed by our habits. We learn to love things through the things that we do week in and week out. We learn how to be a certain kind of people. And so if you continue to practice the the Christian virtues of kindness, of self-control, of of compassion, of mercy, then you become more and more Christ-like each day. You, You learn to focus on others. But if you focus on the vices, if you end up being driven by, by selfishness, by resentment, by anger, by jealousy, by pride, by lust, by vanity, then that begins to form the kind of person you are and you begin to turn more and more inward, becoming self-centered and self-focused. So the reality is that, that whatever, you, whatever you choose, whether vice or virtue, whatever practices you engage in, those begin to shape who you are and what you love. So Jesus' point in this parable, in this story, is that one way that you can be confident that you are a sinner saved by sheer costly grace is if you have a sensitive social conscience and a life poured out for others who cannot pay you back. Because if you don't understand the gospel, then you won't care about others. If if the gospel has never hit you, then you'll either be self-centered and you'll be entirely focused on getting yours, on what you need, to even notice the last, the lost, and the least of these. You won't care about them because you, you can't notice them. They'll be people you use to get what you want. Or you'll become too self-righteous and you'll think you're better than those people. And they don't deserve what you have. They don't deserve the handout. And so you refuse to help them when they're in need. As Christians, see, we live a little bit differently. We start, as we started earlier, with confession. We admit that we are sinners, that we fall short. We come before the communion rail every other week, and we kneel as one family, admitting that that we're all beggars before our God, that we have nothing to offer but our sin, our guilt, our shame, and our brokenness, and we receive graciously what God gives to us. Not because we deserve it, but because of his love and his mercy poured out for us. As we receive that grace, it transforms us. We're changed as God's people. And so we're not compelled to do good works because we need to to earn God's salvation or to make ourselves look good enough. But rather we start to do good works because it's who God has made us. Because we're being reformed in the image of Christ who came not to be served, 
but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. See, as Christians, we gather as God's people. And Jesus says that by this, everyone will know you are my disciples if you love one another. So they'll know we're his followers by the habits, by the daily practices that we engage in that reveal who we are, by the things that that begin to shape us into being more and more Christ-like. And then when that last day comes, when we gather before the throne to be judged, we will be surprised just like the sheep by the good works we've done and by the reward we receive by God's grace. As God's people, you will hear Jesus say, Come, you who are blessed by my Father, and inherit the kingdom prepared for you from all eternity. Amen.